You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It's Monday, January 6th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott, and today I'm joined by 24-7 sports college football writer Chris Hummer to play a game of real or fake now that bowl season is over. Chris, real quick, glad or sad that our college football season is about over? <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. It's a grind during the year, but I always miss college football, especially during the offseason. It's a little sad it's coming to an end, and we won't have football in general in about a month, so that is a sad thing to consider. I always find myself appreciating the game a little bit more during bowl season. Meanwhile, in November or so, I'm kind of ready for it to, to come to an end. So it's it's always a grass is always greener situation. Anyway, your article, which is live on 247sports.com, uh, a bowl season article gave us the inspiration for this podcast. So you laid down in this article, you laid out several different things that happened. Michigan's loss, Texas's win, Oklahoma getting slaughtered. And you addressed whether this is something to take seriously or something that was maybe just an aberration or anything like that. So I'm going to lay out all these scenarios. I'm going to ask you if there's if there's real concern here or fake concern. We're, we're going to start with the Big 12, which went 1-5 during bowl play, including Oklahoma's 63-28 to loss at the hands of LSU in the Peach Bowl. We can talk about the Sooners separately as well, but we're going to start with the conference. You've listed both here as fake concern. I want you to explain that. And I also, Chris, are you sure this has not just been a horrible reputation hit for the Big 12? I mean, maybe. I, admittedly, I live in Austin, Texas. Like, I could be coming at this from, with a bit of biases, but I, I still maintain, if you kind of look at the Big 12's record during the regular season, what they lacked was a ranked win in non-conference play, but what the Big 12 does have more than any other league still, in my opinion, is top-to-bottom depth. Um, Kansas beat Boston College. West Virginia beat NC State. TCU had a non-conference win over Purdue. I realize none of those teams were exceptional that they played, but this is a league at the bottom of it, so a 10-team league, and all you could argue all 10 teams are competitive out of league. I know the bowl season didn't go well. Iowa State and Oklahoma especially looked bad, but I would still maintain the Big 12 is the third or fourth strongest league in the country, despite that 1-5 and five record, which I feel like doesn't necessarily reflect how the league has positioned itself and how it fared all season long. Um, I think the Big 12 is a league that kind of gets knocked a little bit because of its defense. I think that narrative is shifting considerably given the way we see offense played nationally. And I also think it's knocked a little bit because some of the teams aren't like as nationally recognized. Like Kansas State was a really good team this year. I know it lost to Navy in the bowl game. But that doesn't change the season that Chris Kleiman had in year one. Kansas State and Iowa State are not national brands. I feel like that also dings the reputation a little bit. I think just the totality of the picture, you have to consider that the Big 12 is super strong top to bottom and while the bowl results didn't go well, I don't really think you can just knock the entire league's reputation based on it. Yeah, I would agree that the Big 12, I think, has finally walked away from this Pop Warner or just, you know, this bad reputation as like uh, the JV or like the B team league. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think it's clear that the Big 12 has good teams and has a lot of depth and is playing better defense. My thing with the Big 12, 
is on a yearly basis, they're spitting out one national title contender. And people have short memories. No one wants to remember that two years ago, Oklahoma took Georgia to overtime in the Rose Bowl. Or that last year, Kyler Murray and the Sooners led a furious comeback to really scare Alabama. It's really fair, though, that people want to talk about 63-28 at the hands of LSU. So the thing with the Big 12, like all the other conferences are putting out more than one national title contender. All the, Well, that's not true. All the other conferences that it should be in the neighborhood with. Like we know what the ACC is, Chris. We know what the Pac-12 is. But the Big 12 a few years ago, I felt like had a case for the number two had an argument to be the number two conference in the country. And I think that slipped. And I'm also an Austin guy too, but I live in SEC territory. Now I live in Nashville. And the other day I was talking to one of my friends who's an Alabama fan. And he, like, if what he had to say is any indication of how the rest of the country feels, or at least how the South feels, like the Big 12 absolutely took a knock this bowl season to the point where it's being mentioned in the same breath as the Pac-12, where we don't even want to see these guys in the playoff because they're just going to lose. And it's true. The Big 12 has not won a playoff game. And at least the ACC, which by any metric is the fifth best Power 5 conference, at least the ACC is on a yearly basis putting forth the best team in college football. Yeah, I would I would point out, though, that like this stuff is cyclical. And our conversations, we get really caught up in narratives and we like to kind of jump really far one direction to kind of have a take. But I don't think people remember the Big 12 went four and three in bowl season last year. Like this isn't like this is kind of an aberration. We're only one year removed from Texas uh, beating Georgia, kind of a team that people viewed as a playoff team in the Sugar Bowl. Obviously, Texas didn't have the season to kind of continue that, but that doesn't take away kind of on a neutral site that Texas largely handled Georgia a season ago. And Baylor wasn't like, I know people probably watched the game and thought Baylor got killed. I would argue, had Charlie Brewer not gotten hurt, like that game could have gotten a little bit closer than it ended up being at the end of the game. And Baylor wasn't exactly outmanned or outmuscled by Georgia most of that evening. Like, sure, sure. I they just, like they made a good comeback. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, like, if we're going to pile on the Big 12, you have to do it with some um, kind of perspective of the last couple of seasons. You can't totally judge a league based on one season. Maybe the Big 12 was kind of down this year, but I'd say from top to bottom, I still trust the Big 12 a heck of a lot more than I trust the ACC and the Pac-12 at this point. All right, so we have a lot more to talk about, Chris. But real quick, uh, we'll stay on the Big 12 for one more thing, and I guess we will eventually get to Texas and Texas A&M as a, as a lump package. Oklahoma, you think they might be better next year? Much better. Uh, offensive line this year replaced four out of five starters. That was a Joe Moore Award winner. Uh, the line wasn't nearly as good as it's been in seasons past. And I think after kind of a year to kind of get things together, uh, ben, Bill Bidenhall, which is one of the better offensive line coaches in the country, will have that unit in better shape. The defense is going to be better in year two under Alex Grinch. They're going to have more depth. Uh, they will be more used to that system. So that. And then I think the most important thing is quarterback play is going to improve. Uh, Jalen Hurts, as great as he is, uh, was just kind of – okay against great teams. Spencer Rattler, their uh, kind of successor there, number one quarterback in the 2019 class is going to kind of elevate the ceiling a little bit. So I really do like the Sooners to be better next season. All righty. So Michigan lost 36 of 16 to Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. The Wolverines under Jim Harbaugh are now two and 10 against top 10 teams. So I'm guessing we have real concern here. 
Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I don't think anybody could watch Michigan and not have concerns in these situations. 0-5 uh, against Ohio State, 1-10 as an underdog under Jim Harbaugh, 1-4 in bowl games, 2-10 against... 1-10 as an underdog? I'm sorry? 1-10 as an underdog? Yeah, 1-10 as an That's, underdog. Golly. That's golly. Is there, is there a path forward here? Is there a path forward? Because I don't see them being any better next year. I they lose Shea Patterson. They lose a slew of receivers. Like I, I guess the offense found found some form, but the heat's going to be on, man. They like the heat is on Michigan in twenty twenty. I think the real question is like, what do you like? I know this is I know this is Michigan, and you have to come out with some additional perspectives. This program that expects to keep your championships, but like, do you you remember watching Michigan under Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez, right? And I know exactly what you're going to say here. What is Michigan's expectation? I know exactly what you're going to say. I'm just saying that Jim Harbaugh, uh, he's won nine games, four of his five seasons. The other season was an eight-win campaign. Um, that's not that's not great, but I think we've probably talked about this before, and I know you've talked about this before with Barton. But essentially, like I think Michigan is much more Auburn at this point than it is Alabama or Ohio State. Like it's a team, it's kind of the little brother in its division. I'm sure Michigan fans are going to love to hear that, but they don't recruit nearly as well as Ohio State to kind of compete year after year. Um, they're kind of on par with Penn State in terms of the talent they bring in. And I think Michigan at this point is a program that can compete for a championship every three to four years. I just don't know if you can expect it every year. And I think that's just kind of the reality of where they sit currently. Yeah, that's what Barton said. He's also thrown out Washington as a comparison for Michigan, which takes you down a rung. Because it's not really compete for championships every three or four years. It's compete for a spot in the playoff. I was convinced this year was going to be there for Michigan. No one saw Ohio State being this good. So, you know, maybe maybe Michigan could have been really good and it wouldn't have mattered because this Ohio State team was an all-timer as far as regular season teams go. But and I, Michigan fans probably and, and the administration, the buyout's big. They're going to have to decide, do you live with nine wins, ten wins? And you know, maybe we haven't seen it yet, but maybe you get a shot at the playoff, or do you do you keep trying to swing for the fences I mean, and maybe get someone better? I would point out that in 2016, Michigan was essentially a fourth down stop away from playing for a playoff game. Like it's not like Jim sure. Harbaugh hasn't hasn't had this team on the cusp of that so far. And, and you know, they lost at Iowa when they were what the number two team in the country. So they've been there. It's time to get back, though. It's been a few years. Speaking of back, <laughs> it's been a few years. Texas and Texas A&M each capped disappointing eight and five years with nice bowl wins, the Longhorns over Utah and the Aggies over Oklahoma State. So rather than play real or fake with this, I'm going to frame it this way, Chris. Do those wins salvage bad years for Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher? I think for Tom Herman, it's a no. Like, like you came in the year with top 10 expectations. Like that's, that's rough to see. And yeah, and, and before you move on, before you move on to Jimbo Fisher, I think for any Texas fan watching that Utah game, it was like bittersweet. It was like this, this was what they could have been. Well, it was, and they it saved was their best performance right? for like last. Like if you watch that, you watch them thoroughly dominate a team that was on in the playoff on like a, like a month ago, and you see like Utah wasn't in that game the entire time. Texas dominated every position, kind of in most of the night, and then you kind of you can't square that with what you saw against Iowa State or what you saw against TCU. It's just a really weird year for Texas. Right. So Jimbo Fisher, though, for A&M, maybe does this one salvage his season? Because the best 7-5 and five regular season team in college football history. <laughs> According to Mike Gundy. Uh, I don't know if it salvages the season. Uh, A&M is still blown out by all the number one teams in the country they face. And I know 
there are going to be some Texas A&M fans to point that point to kind of the strength of the schedule that Aggies played, but Texas A&M wasn't in any of those games against top 15 competition outside of Auburn. So I would, I would argue no, but I would also, I would say this year two under team under Jimbo Fisher is also probably the worst team he's going to have in his tenure, given the offensive line state, um, the roster he inherited and the way he's recruiting. I think there's a strong argument to be made. The future is, you can at least like argue for a bright future in Texas A&M. So winning this game provides a bit of a spark for the Aggies as well. But in both cases, I would, I would argue Texas A&M and Texas were extremely disappointing this season. This kind of uh, this bowl result is more of a mirage than anything, in my opinion, just based on the year we kind of saw. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Miami zero, Louisiana Tech fourteen. You went with real here, as far as that being a real concern. Which makes sense, but it also means that you are now extra concerned about the direction of Manny Diaz's program, which I think is saying something, considering the Hurricanes have already lost to Georgia Tech and Florida International this season. Yeah, I, I remember I talked to a Louisiana Tech coach after this game, and they told me like, he told me like they fully expected to win this game going in, like just watching the film, and uh, I think the results kind of showed that. Uh, obviously, Manny Diaz has already made a change at uh, offensive coordinator, replacing Danny Enos. I guess maybe Nick Saban can wonder where Danny Enos is for a second straight off season, and then bring in uh, Rhett Lachey from SMU, which I think is a I think is an is a good move. But Miami, like we talked about Texas and Texas A and M earlier, Miami's another. Don't you kind of feel like Miami is one of these programs that just feels a little lost, like a really big reputation, but just kind of can't figure it out? Because that's kind of yeah. just what it feels like watching the Hurricanes. Yeah, and unlike a program, I don't know, you're right, it, it feels lost, and it feels more of like a Nebraska or a Tennessee lost than a late Mark Richt era Georgia lost or a Texas loss, where it's, with with each passing season, their one-time dynasty feels just eons away, and just a different era of college football, and you almost wonder, have they totally run out of time to ever return to form again? can Miami ever dominate the college football landscape again? I'm not asking if Miami can ever be good again. They were number two in the playoff rankings a few years ago in the first playoff rankings, but can they ever build this back? Can they ever find a coach who's going to get it done? I like Manny Diaz. It's hard. I, it's hard not yeah, to like I mean, Manny Diaz. It's hard not to. He's a, he's a good guy and he's really good with the meat. And he, he's, he's been sort of this, he's been the epitome of a reclamate, a reclamation project as far as a college football coach. And he was at Texas. He gets fired. Starts all the way back at the bottom, Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State, Miami. You just wonder, they got to get quarterback figured out. They got three quarterbacks, and none of them can really be their quarterback of the future, too. So I'm sure all eyes will be on Tate Martell this offseason, not that it'll matter what he does. But quickly, I would argue that Miami, unlike Nebraska and unlike Tennessee, is always at least somewhat positioned to return to maybe not necessarily like 2001 dominance, but dominance on the same because of where they recruit and their talent base. But at the same time, given how national recruiting is like these days, I don't know if they'll ever return to that 2001 era, but like Miami just being in Florida and recruiting to the place they recruit and Coral Gables, like that is a program. If they find the right head coach that could always get jump started, Miami will always be a top 20 program just because of some of the benefits that come with playing at the place they play. Like I was sure, but you're right. National recruiting South Florida is getting just poached by Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state gets the Bosa brothers from Fort Lauderdale. So 
Yeah, it's, it's put a fence around it. And I, I think all of the big three Florida schools have the same issue there. Moving on to Tennessee, Chris, which a few nights ago erased a 13-point deficit with four minutes, 21 seconds left to shock Indiana in the Gator Bowl. So the Vols finished eight and five in Jeremy Pruitt's second season, which is remarkable because they spent the first two weeks of the season losing to Georgia State and BYU. I'm going to say this eight and five record, it's, it is what it is, and maybe next year is going to be even better. But the question I have for you is, in the long term, are the Vols real or fake SEC East contenders? And I'll cap long term at two to four years, which is probably more short term. Short term, but in college football, seems like long term. Long term. That's a great question. I think based on the way Jeremy Pruitt is recruiting, I would lean more towards real than fake in that instant. In, in so that's that interesting. That's interesting that you think that you mentioned recruiting because it's 16th in the country is fine, but do you think that's good enough? 16th in the country? Uh, if you're Tennessee, because 16th in the country is good for seventh in the sec. Well, I, I would say this Jeremy Pruitt's evals, like even pretty early in his tenure. So his first class was not exactly because given when he took over his first class, right. wasn't ever going to rank super high, but you look at the field and some of those evals that he made that first cycle already panning out. I think some of the wins he, the big wins he had last cycle, like Henry Tovatoa were panning out. So are some of the younger players in the secondary along the offensive line. Eric Gray, I, I have a, the running back. I, yeah, I have a trust in Jeremy Pruitt based on those early evaluations that he can kind of put this together. And he seems to be building the program the right way. I might be really wrong. This might not be a brick-by-brick brick situation where Butch Jones was uh, competing for SEC East Championships, or at least competing in year three. But I think Jamie Pruitt's doing it the right way. That program was in bad shape when he took it over. And I think if Philip Fulmer gives him a couple years, I think Tennessee is capable of competing with at least Florida, based on what I've seen out of Florida from a recruiting perspective. Georgia's kind of a different animal at this point. But I do think Tennessee will be in that conversation in two to three years based on this trajectory, yes. Yeah, I think maybe you're onto something. I'm... At equal part, like at one time, I'm disappointed that Jeremy Pruitt, who was at one point the 24 7 sports recruiter of the year as an assistant coach, is not recruiting better. But at the same time, for this team to go eight and five tells me that Jeremy Pruitt's and his staff have tackled the questions that you might have had about them big picture coaching ability, game day coaching ability. What can they do for the locker room? The locker room was an absolute mess after a one and two start. And they really turned it around. So you can get to eight and five with all the all the crap that's going on. That tells me that Jeremy Pruitt is legitimately a really good college football coach and a head coach at that. So By you would way, just assume only, now that the recruiting comes. We're only one season removed from him landing two five star offensive tackles. So it's not like I know I know the SEC recruiting is a different animal, but like for most coaches nationally, that's like a pretty ban- that's a banner class right there. Landing Darnell Red and Juan Morris in the same group, along with Henry Toto and Quavarius Crouch. So like, no, it's I not mean, like he's yeah, pretty badly. No, he's he's not. But again, sixteenth, and you you write the story every year. Why recruiting matters? Why recruiting wins national titles? Sixteenth nationally, seventh in the SEC. Probably not going to get it done if you're ever asking to beat Georgia. But I see there. I, I think there's room for progress there, especially if they can build do eight and five or even better next year. Real or fake, Chris? Minnesota's Outback Bowl win over Auburn affects the Gophers' trajectory. So just some background. This is their first 11-win season since 1904, and you now would peg them as Big Ten West co-favorites in the preseason along with Wisconsin. Does 
Does the win over Auburn, did that do anything to change your perception of this team? It did. I think PJ Flex said it on the field afterwards. To be a blue blood, you have to beat blue bloods. And Minnesota's done that. They've beat two of them this year. They beat Penn State in a game everybody thought they would lose, and they beat Auburn in a game everybody thought they would lose. And that's the same Auburn team that is the only team to hold LSU below 30 this season, I believe. And it's the same Auburn team that beat Alabama. And I think that Alabama team was at least the fourth best team in the country this season. So, like, for Minnesota to go out there and do that against an Auburn team that had no reason not to be motivated for this game, I, I thought it was really impressive. They, like, they looked like a legitimate, like, I don't know about an SEC team, but they looked like a team that could score at anybody. Obviously, losing Tyler Johnson, their star receiver, is going to hurt, but they still have Rashad Bateman. Uh, and P.J. Fleck, dating back to his time at Western Michigan, has shown he is one of those coaches that makes smart evals. He gets high developmental prospects and gets them in the program, and he develops them. And I I have full trust in P.J. Fleck at this point. I think we all kind of looked at him with a bit of a question, like, can this work on a Power 5 level? And I'm, did you think that way about P.J.? Like, can this work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought, I don't know if we're going to take this seriously or not. Or I don't know if I can take this guy seriously. And I thought it was interesting. The first month and a half of the season, as Minnesota really quietly flew under the radar, you didn't really hear anything about them. And you didn't really hear about P.J. Fleck. And when you talked about Minnesota, you talked about Tyler Johnson or Rashad Bateman. And, of course, row the boat eventually. Heck, I mean, by the time game day comes around and we've had 12 games to talk about Minnesota, yeah, P.J. Fleck took back the limelight. But for the most part, this season's storyline looking at Minnesota was about Minnesota and not P.J. Fleck. And I think that's a really big deal for that program that that P.J. Fleck, this this team, yes, they still do elite. They still do row the boat. But it's not – it's not really so solely reliant on these silly little catchphrases. Yeah, 100%. And I think this is the season P.J. Fleck established himself as one of the premier coaches in the FBS. Like, I think we, we kind of all wondered at Western Michigan if this was sustainable. And taking over with Minnesota uh, last year, he beat Wisconsin for the first time in almost 20 years. This season, he won 11 games for the first time since 1904, as you said. I think this is a program that we're going to continue to look at. I think P.J. Flex done what we kind of expected Scott Frost to do, which is elevate his team into a per- perennial contender in the Big Ten West. And that division, as we know, is there for the taking every year. Well, that's interesting you said, Scott Frost. I was just thinking about how good the Big Ten, Big Ten West race is going to be next year. Nebraska has to make a leap. Iowa's going to reload a bit, but they're always there. Wisconsin has to reload as well, but they're also always there. Uh, Minnesota, Purdue gets back Rondale more, so it, it could be a really good Big Ten West race. North Carolina freshman Sam Howe capped a masterful freshman season with three passing touchdowns in a big bowl win over Temple. So Howe ends a year with 3,641 yards passing, 36 touchdowns against just seven interceptions, making him one of two freshmen since 2000 to throw for 3,500-plus yards and 35-plus touchdowns, the other being Jameis Winston, who was a redshirt freshman during his Heisman Trophy season. There's no question whether Sam Howe is the real deal, right? Yeah, I think I think part... I mean, he certainly helped with being Phil Longo's offense. For those unfamiliar, Phil Longo's North Carolina's offensive coordinator, did really good things with uh, Jordan Tamau at Ole Miss uh, kind of last year and briefly with Shea Patterson before he got hurt at Ole Miss as well. Uh, he's an air raid guy. Uh, he's had nothing but success. But Sam Howell looks like the real thing. And I don't like when you produce like he did as a freshman, 
on a team that had some holes. I, I think you just have to kind of consider him our one of our next stars at quarterback in college football. And that's great for North Carolina. I didn't mention him in the story, but Jaden Daniels is kind of the same way at Arizona State. You see Arizona State recruiting to Jaden Daniels. And I think those two are going to put Arizona State and North Carolina in position to kind of potentially compete for Pac-12 South and ACC Coastal Championships next year. Like, I think they're that good. All righty. Well, that ends this segment. Chris, I'm going to keep you on the line. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the biggest storyline in college football. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Chris. So just real quick. And if you're listening to this podcast past 11 a.m. Central on Monday, January 6th, then this will be a moot conversation. But for the early bird listeners out there, Tua Tungavailoa, the Alabama quarterback, will announce his fate to the NFL or not at an 11 a.m. press conference in Tuscaloosa with Coach Nick Saban. Chris, do you have any idea what he's going to do? Because it has seemed like we've taken daily twists and turns in how Alabama feels about this. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us are kind of wondering what he's going to do in this situation. Uh, there's not been a ton of information coming about that. I, If I was just... Like, logically, I would think he'd go to the NFL. I don't think... Even... Unless his hip is a lot worse than we all feared... I, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Like people take risks on quarterbacks all the time. You just need one team too. But two has always been kind of a different guy. I don't quite understand the idea of coming back to school, but maybe he really values being around his family and playing with his brother. Like, do you, do you have like, I'm sure a lot of people have opinions on this. Do you think he should stay or go? Yeah, I think he should go. And I guess we've been talking about that storyline since November. I think it's going to be really, really fascinating. There's a lot of questions that are going to start coming up. If he does come back, think about this. So let's say Tua comes back. Okay. Then you would safely assume Mac Jones enters the transfer portal. So Alabama loses a quarterback. You say Tua comes back. How healthy is he? Does he come back with the anticipation of playing week one? Does he come back with the anticipation of being ready by October? Well, what happens if by October Bryce Young's in a groove? And speaking of Bryce Young, he's already signed. The five-star freshman was the All-American Bowl MVP. He was awesome, and he's a... He had all the right things to say this this past week in San Antonio when he was asked about Tua returning and, and you know Bryce isn't going to go anywhere, but it certainly would be a different deal than Bryce thought he was getting when he signed up for it. I just it almost seems smoother for Alabama if Tua just goes pro. Uh, for USC in week one and Georgia in week three, I'm taking Tua. <laughs> like Alabama's schedule has been a joke the last two seasons before November. It is not the case this year. They have two very difficult games kind of before the schedule gets into the heart of uh, SEC US play. If Chua wants to come back, I'm sure Dick Saban would be thrilled to have him. 
Yeah, I just wonder the health. We'll, we'll, we will have our storyline for the entire offseason if Tua comes back because there will be weekly updates on his status. Fall camp will be insane and, and all of that. So Alabama has had some nice uh, draft decision wins so far. They've had Alex Leatherwood come back. They've had Dylan Moses come back. And the, the school official football account tweeted these falling dominoes the other day. So I think it sort of set fan expectations that everybody was coming back. So there was some disappointment on Sunday when Xavier McKinney announced his NFL decision. I'm sure that Najee Harris will also go pro. There's some hope that maybe Henry Ruggs or Devontae Smith comes back. And then, of course, maybe Tua comes back too. So it'll be fascinating. And I'm pretty sure that I know what we'll be talking about Tuesday on the college football daily but for this day's episode that's going to do it if you appreciate what we're doing please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. and if you're one of the people who think we're sec biased i just want to point out that we did start the show with five minutes of big 12 discussion for chris hummer for connor tapp for our producer tawny levitt i'm trey scott we'll see you on tuesday for the next edition of the college football daily